It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, November 27th, 2023. I'm Mike Emanuel. The crisis at our southern border is having an impact thousands of miles from actual border states. In New York, it's led to huge budget cuts after paying for migrants who've landed in New York City. With some suggesting the cause is neglect. There's really a complex problem at the border, which is not being addressed uh, by the president, uh, by our, our border czar Kamala Harris, the vice president at all, or uh, from any of the state governments, especially New York, which is creating even a worse situation. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This election cycle, education is top of mind for Republicans. COVID-era learning loss, national test scores, what's taught in the classroom, and school choice are all part of the conversation. But what if that conversation is being had at the number one ranked high school in the country? This community has, it truly is what public education, it's a shining light of what public education is. You know, the most important people in groups, it's not the principal in the building, it's our parents are vested, our parents are here, parents are present, parents are supporting our students and our faculty. And I'm Greg Jarrett. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Some rare, wonderful news in the Israel-Hamas war. The return of a four-year-old American girl who saw her parents killed in front of her own eyes. President Biden is calling for extending the ceasefire to get more hostages out. Critically needed aid is going in and hostages are coming out. And this deal is structured so that it can be extended to keep building on these results. That's my goal. That's our goal, to keep this pause going beyond tomorrow. But Wisconsin Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher warns Hamas is playing games. I think we should look at this less as a diplomatic breakthrough and more as an extension of Hamas's psychological warfare designed to continue to increase the international pressure on Israel in pursuit of a permanent ceasefire. And that would be a bad outcome. Meanwhile, with the border crisis ongoing, there are concerns Hamas operatives and other terror groups could be sneaking into the U.S. Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton weighed in on Fox News Sunday. We have to have significant and substantial reforms to our border policy, specifically asylum and parole, the processes that are being abused at our border for millions of illegal migrants to come to this country over the last three years. The border crisis is having an impact a long way from Texas and Arizona in New York City, where the arrival of migrants is costing the Big Apple a fortune. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is defending budget cuts that have come as a result. So I know you, New Yorkers are angry when they hear about these efficiency cuts. But you New, York, New Yorkers, I want you to know I'm angry also. And this past week, there was also an alarming situation at our northern border. Ricky Wilson was a witness of the car crash and explosion at the Rainbow Bridge connecting the U.S. and Canada and spoke to affiliate WKBW. He hit the concrete barrier probably uh, right at the signal. God knows how many thousands of feet before the bridge. It went airborne. The vehicle began to turn sideways and went under something overhead, and then it hit something over there. With some suggesting policymakers must pay attention to both borders. 
I've been sounding the alarm since February or March of this year. We started the Northern Border Security Caucus. Congressman Claudia Tenney is a Republican representing upstate New York. My new district includes almost all of the New York border with Canada. Just a little bit is over to the east uh, that's uh, represented by Elise Stefanik. But mm-hmm. the border agents warned us that they have been displacing agents to deal with the problem at the southern border and has left us exposed at the northern border. And I spent a few days with the with the Border Patrol agents at the Buffalo sector, and they explained to me all the complexities of what was going on. And recent statistics showed that 85% of suspected terrorists have actually tried to cross into the United States using the northern border. Mm. And part of the reason is because the cartels actually issue driver's licenses at the southern border to people from over 100 different countries. And once they get a fake Mexican uh, passport, they get to Canada. And once they get to Canada, there's no visa requirement and the cartels are waiting and they can literally walk across the New York border, get a valid driver's license from New York State and go anywhere in New York or our country. Add that uh, another law passed by Kathy Hochul, the clean slate law, which eliminates any kind of former criminal activity or criminal convictions for criminals in New York State. All these things are leading to a terrible mix of insecurity and an open border and and a, and a lack of, of, of the ability of the border agents to actually do their job because so many are coming across and yet we can't identify them. And remember, this is all not counting the gotaways who we have no idea who they are because they've come across the border through the clutter of immigrants, uh, various ones that are you know, just human traffic, which is horrible. But I mean, it's it, there's really a complex problem at the border, which is not being addressed uh, by the president, uh, by our, our border czar Kamala Harris, the vice president at all, or uh, from any of the state governments, especially New York, which is creating even a worse situation. I realize you don't represent New York City, but New York City is a huge factor to everything in New York State. And Mayor Eric Adams is now making significant budget cuts because of the migrant crisis, notably to the NYPD, which is issuing a hiring freeze to bring the number of officers on the force down below 30,000 by 2025. How do you believe this impacts your state when crime is still a prominent concern? Well, this is not just a huge problem in New York City. And I've already, you know, look, Mayor Adams is making a huge mistake to cut our police departments. They, de Blasio had cut over a billion dollars out of police departments during that defund and demoralize the police movement, which was a bumper sticker gone bad. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's a huge mistake. Uh, Mayor Adams also cut uh, education and other uh, humanitarian and, and so- social uh, programs that are helping people. Part of the problem with this is, though, he keeps blaming the, uh, you know, the feds, but it's his fault, too, because he created a sanctuary city or let's say he continues the sanctuary city status, which, by the way, uh, many of the upstate cities, and it's not just New York City, have sanctuary city status that Mm. give, you know, safe haven to illegal immigrants, regardless of whether they're criminals or not. And remember, they all get to have valid New York State driver's licenses. So it's even more difficult not just for border agents, but also for our local police departments to really try to keep us safe and find out who who people are in our own cities. So we have a real problem. And yet New York State turns away from this problem by defunding the police, by not keeping our border secure. And New York City is doing exactly the same thing. When you heard about an incident at the Rainbow Bridge border crossing uh, this past week, it's been confirmed it wasn't terrorism, but when you heard there was a car crash and explosion there, did you worry that, uh-oh, here we go? 
Yes. Well, of course, it turned out to be a tragedy and, uh, you know, a car accident in which we don't know the, the real uh, concerns. Either it was the car or something, a mental health problem that happened or a health problem with with the driver. But look, everybody is on edge because we know this border is so porous in upstate New York and we are very concerned about that. So we everybody was was on edge. You know, we immediately contacted the local authorities. I represent half of Niagara County where this occurred. I don't represent the actual P, uh, Rainbow Bridge, but I represent the eastern half of Niagara County. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in contact with the sheriff's office, our Customs and Border Patrol agents uh, throughout the day as this uh, happened. We were very cautious and uh, in, in communicating what was happening there under the advice of our of our police and uh, unfortunately it turned out to be a terrible tragedy but we're on edge because the police and the customs and border patrol know exactly how vulnerable we are and how our politicians particularly the democrats in albany who run everything and joe biden and the democrats just do not do anything about protecting the american citizens and the people that are in our country and particularly new york state Let's switch to Washington, where conversations surrounding funding are ongoing in the House. Though Speaker Mike Johnson was able to get a short-term funding package that keeps the government afloat into the new year, come late January, early February, we're right back in crunch time to create bills that will fund the government through the end of the fiscal year. How confident are you that the House will reach some sort of consensus on spending before late January rolls around? Well, we have to because there's a rule in place that would require us to actually, it was, it's the so-called penny plan that would automatically uh, require budget cuts across the board, a 1% cut, which, by the way, has never been done in the history of our country. It was something that was agreed to by both sides. It was a bipartisan agreement under the Fiscal Responsibility Act. And so if we want to get our priorities, we need to start working on that now. Uh, Speaker Johnson, a longtime good friend of mine, a, a really terrific person, Uh, And fiscal conservative uh, and someone who's dedicated to this is already working to try to come up with ways that we can actually start cutting this just behemoth that we have as a federal government. Really important things happening here. We're trying to overcome uh, what happened during COVID, this excessive spending, a lot of unnecessary spending, a lot of fraud, abuse and waste, which we're tackling, by the way, on the oversight subcommittee of the Ways and Means Committee, which I serve on. A lot happening, a lot we need to do. Some of it's recoverable, most of it's not, unfortunately. We are paying the price for that, but we've got to look forward to a long-term solution. And what people aren't talking about and what really needs to be discussed, and we've got to get Democrats on board with this, is this vast majority, almost 75% of our federal spending is mandatory. It's automatic. It isn't part Mm -hmm. of a shutdown. And we've got to deal with that issue. And Democrats need to recognize we need to work on that because it does Uh, pose a threat to our future and our future generations and being able to sustain our country without having this, you know, crushing debt. To the Middle East, we've seen a four day ceasefire lead to the release of some of these hostages. Um, Do you believe the ceasefire could lead to a sooner end to this conflict? And what are your thoughts about the United States and sending funding to help Israel? Unfortunately, I don't think this ceasefire is going to bring an end to this because we have a feckless president who is weak, who doesn't portray strength. These people respond in the Middle East to strength and power, and we're we're appeasing them, allowing them more time. Hamas, funded by Iran, which has been given all kinds of green lights by President Biden, uh, whether it's talks of getting back into the Iran nuclear deal, there's suspicious people that he's hired that are in our own Pentagon. 
that are part of the Iran terrorist network that suppose that we would like a more investigation into them. Uh, all these things are just, you know, giving more fuel to Hamas and uh, state sponsored terrorism coming from Iran to Hamas to Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad. And the more time we give them, the more they're going to continue to manipulate and abuse this process. And I worry Although it's, you know, Israel is, is very focused and, and singularly focused on saving these hostages one by one. And they're willing to take this terrible deal in order to save every precious life. I worry that in the long run, we are going to see it even more coming from Hamas. And I don't think this is going to be the end. Finally, what do you make of the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses, including some great universities like Cornell and Columbia in your home state of New York? Well, this has been a problem that I've seen in upstate New York. I'm sad to say my, my father is a graduate of Cornell Law School. I went to ups, uh, upstate colleges. I used to have 11 colleges in my first district that I represented in Congress. Under After redistricting, I have a new district that has nine colleges or 10 colleges in it. And you see this rise in anti-Semitism because there's Students for Justice in Palestine, which is mm-hmm. funded, we're finding out, by Arabella indirectly from uh, Hamas and Iran. And again, these terrorist networks are able to bring this type of anti-Israel, anti-Jewish sentiment to our college campuses and manipulate uh, the, the what's happening there. And unfortunately, a lot of college professors have gone along with this. A lot of college uh, uh, presidents have been very weak on this. Uh, we had in our, at Cornell, for example, when uh, the, pref- the professor famously said after these horrific um, attacks on, on Jewish people in, in Israel said that that attack on October 7th was exhilarating and energizing mm-hmm. uh, in front of students at, at Cornell University. I immediately demanded that the, the and wrote a letter to the college president demanding that he be removed as a professor. They did put him on leave right now, uh, considering what to ha- do with him in the future. But this is the kind of they have infiltrated our college campuses with propaganda, with false information, and they're manipulating uh, our, our students. And this is a real, this could be very dangerous down the road. And, and I'm, I'm very concerned about this type of rhetoric that's coming out. And this is inciting violence, which is not protected by the First Amendment. And, and we need to find a way to preserve free speech, but also let students distinguish between murderous terrorists who incite violence and actual free speech. Congressman Claudia Tenney of the great state of New York, thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. Thanks so much, Mike. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Greg Jarrett with your Fox News commentary coming up. Heading into the 2024 presidential election, education has been a hot topic for Republicans. As he campaigned through Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis highlighted what he and his legislature have done with legislation that bans things like critical race theory in schools and certain books with sexual content from school libraries. DeSantis said criticism of him as a book banner was a hoax. That's a false narrative in service of using our schools Uh, for indoctrination rather than education. And we've drawn a very firm line in the sand in Florida about that. Uh, We believe in, in strong, rigorous education. We believe in the rights of parents to be involved in the education of their children. 
Former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, told a town hall in Manchester, New Hampshire. We will take those funds from the Department of Education and send it to the states. Let's take away the power of the federal government, reduce that size of the Department of Education, and empower the parents on the ground. The Republican focus came after the pandemic. The national report card showed test scores dropped dramatically. The 2022-2023 National Education Assessment Test showed the average scores for 13-year-olds declined four points in reading and nine points in math compared to 2019. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who successfully focused on education in his run for governor in 2021, told Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream this fall. What we saw, of course, was, first of all, an effort to systematically lower expectations by the progressive left as as standards were lowered. Uh, On top of that, parents were pushed out of their children's lives. And on top of that, schools were shut for an unnecessary period of time. Virginia was 44th in the nation in getting kids back into school. Not every school or student suffered, though. Some adapted pretty well. And that may have been the case for the newly named best high school in the country in Greensboro, North Carolina, where the current principal took over at the start of the pandemic. Our staff is tremendous. You know, we're really kind of building on the success and the cultural expectations here that's been established by, you know, previous student bodies, previous uh, teachers and principals and whatnot. It's been a tremendous job establishing kind of what the expectations are. I sat down with early college at Guilford High School principal Pete Cachibera in his office after U.S. News & World Report ranked his high school the best in the country. So a big piece for us is, you know, our teachers have a very, very deep content knowledge. You know, when you have that kind of content knowledge, which dovetails into uh, the pedagogical strength that they had switching over to an online, completely online instruction, synchronous instruction. Uh, And actually it expanded probably the resources that our teachers looked up and found for our kids have access to, which actually was one of the bonuses. (laughs) I mean, not many great things you could say about a pandemic, but it actually uh, increased the depth of content we were able to provide for our students. I assume then, as great as the staff was, the students must have been highly engaged if they weathered through that. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty unique. You know, I you know, I've been doing this now 32 years and it's really kind of fun to watch and it keeps me going. Kids continue to strive to reach that the bar that you set for them. They want to do well. They want to put you know, sometimes as teenagers still pleasers a little bit, you know, still that childhood, you know, kind of like uh, want to and our teachers set a very rigorous bar, you know, because the kids understand and know that within a two-year period, uh, they have to be prepared in their junior year to be a full-time college student here at our school. So tell me, because that kind of dovetails into the next question, which is tell me why Guilford Early College is number one in, uh, in ranked high schools by U.S. News & World Report. Where were you guys before? How, how, what do you think it was that got you to number one? Well, uh, I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> so the previous year we were ranked 35th, um, but our score overall was 99.8 out of a of, out of 100. So pretty competitive, but we we're just point two away uh, from the perfect score, you know. And of course, there's six factors they that they uh, U.S. News and World Report look at. But of course, you, we, you know, this group kind of just stayed the course, and we now are 100 out of 100. So it's amazing what a point two can do uh, for a school to jump that high. But what I can say is, as we have worked together, this community, this community has, it truly is what public education, it's a shining light of what public education is. You know, the most important people in groups, it's not the principal in the building, it's our parents are vested, our parents are here, parents are present, parents are supporting our students and our faculty. 
Um, it's, our, it's a village. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's amazing because if you have parents, teachers, and students who are all on the same page, well, you can really move mountains. And that's what our, this community continues to do for our students. Because uh, you know, Guilford County Schools, tremendous supporters of our choice and, mag- and choice school programs. Um, we have a lot, of, you know, a lot of different shoes that fit a lot of different kids. You'll find something for your child. They do a great job promoting that in our superintendent, Dr. Oakley. Um, so North Carolina is a, is a, is a choice state. Well, our, what, here within our county, we do have um, what we call the magnet options or choice options. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So you'll have a signature career academy for, for global logistics. You'll have a um, advanced placement capstone academy. You'll have, we have international baccalaureate schools. So we have a variety of programs that, as we talk to parents in the third and fifth grade, to really educate them on you know, what might be the best fit. And sometimes the best fit is just your traditional attendance zone track high school as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how to get in here. You just said that you just said that it there is involvement in reaching out to other public schools and, and PTAs and whatnot. But do you have to take an entrance exam to get in? So, you know, we our admissions is kind of at a quick glance. Um, we our entry point in mathematics is math three. Uh, and here in North Carolina, we have math one, two, three and four. You need four math credits to graduate. Um, so a lot of our students, um, you have to, as an eighth grader, uh, have to be at least enrolled in math one the entry level, high, you know, the high school credit math one, because they can take math two over the summer and still be and still be a viable candidate to, you know, be in our, at our school. Uh, we do look at how your performance and your grade point average and your the four core subjects. What's that look like for you? Um, of course, and then, of course, we look at, you know, some of the standardized state testing as well. It's just kind of some things that help uh, develop a picture of students who, um, as I said, what's the right fit for your child? Um, is so there that, is there something specific here though? Is it STEM? Is it arts? Like what? Because I know you just said like you just pointed out how there's different magnets that focus on different things. Well, well, it's amazing. You know, we don't uh, Guilford College itself and our program. We we don't really have an emphasis on STEM, but yet due to the course offerings we have here, we're the number ninth ranked STEM school in America, oh. which is unique and, and interesting to me, but. Um, of course, Guilford College itself um, and Dr. Farnbury is the new president here now about a year and a half. He is just as, as previous presidents have done, just embraced us and truly try to adopt, as you as you mentioned, what's that college model? So that's been tremendous for us. I think that's a big focus of ours, too, because we, t- we start talking about academic skill sets and, and our teachers do that across the board. And this, I should tell our listeners who hear this, we are on a, a, this is a high school, but this is on a college campus. This yes. is Guilford Community College. It's actually just Guilford College. Guilford College. Private, yes, a private uh, Quaker college here in North Carolina. Wow. Let me ask you, you're, you're, you're a doctor of what? Uh, doctor of educational leadership okay. and cultural studies. Mm-hmm. When you look at the national conversation that's being had about education right now, what you see out of Florida, people talking about DEI, and some places saying that it's overkill, that what children are being taught in the classroom is not appropriate, and it, we, you know, we need to get back to, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic and all that. You know, there's this conversation right happening about how diversity, equity, inclusion is being applied to the classroom. How do you view the national picture of that conversation that's being had right now? Well, I think when we talk about getting back to the basics, I'm on that train track as well. You know, I think. But what we're talking about really is what kind of academic skill sets are we applying and utilizing within our classrooms? What are we teaching them? What are we scaffolding them for for next steps? Here at Guilford College, we have a tremendous relationship where our teachers not only are able to conduct peer visits with each other, 
to kind of look at, you know, are we really practicing what we think we're preaching to them as far as building academic skill sets across the board? Because if you look at College Board and their advanced placement coursework, you know, they all have the academic skill sets that you want. But what we're trying to do is ha have our students see the commonalities there between those academic skill sets. So again, I agree with that. That's kind of where we're heading. We're able to, our faculty is able to go into college classrooms and visit and kind of see, are we truly getting them, or we think we may know at the high school level, but we go into those classrooms, have we scaffolded up those basic academic skills and advanced academic skills that they're gonna need with critical thinking and being able to, you know, in writing, as I mentioned earlier, that, yeah, I, I'm on board, I'm, I'm all for that piece. And I think that's gotta be grounded in what we do. And it's been grounded, I think, in, uh, in the schools I've been fortunate enough to work in in the last 32 years. It doesn't sound like you guys then are, or, or you as a principal are navigating some of these other national issues about like schools going woke and teachers talking about sexuality and gender. It sounds like you're not navigating those issues. Uh, at, at, you know, like we have not had, you know, that piece. Uh, we have some really strong student organizations on campus. Uh, for example, we have the Student Human Relations Coalition on campus that does give our students an opportunity and platform to talk about multiple issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of the biggest things for us is, you know, we want our kids to be able to learn. But when they get that diploma, although I'd love them to have all, all straight A's, I don't, I, I, that's not what's important to us. What's, what's really more, most equally important to us, kind of going back to your earlier question about what are we focusing on now across the country, is that we understand um, just like any system, the product is very important. As an 18, 19 year old senior, um, I want them to be able to know how to advocate for themselves. That's critical, how you use your voice to, to have that productive dialogue or to have that, that, that conversation to access the resources that you need to get closer to the goals you have set for yourself. Finally then, for those listening to you who want to be better, who want to be maybe not number one, but close to it, right. What would you tell their villages? What would you tell them to focus on first that they want to get better? Well, I think we've talked a lot today about community. You know, how do you continue to build that? How do you, but again, as a school, we, you, a lot of us are dealing with parents who maybe not had the best experience when they were in school as well. So you have to be very, very transparent. You have to communicate constantly to them to, because you may have a community that's kind of not leery of what, you know, what the high school experience is or isn't because of maybe what they experienced. Um, you are doing multiple roles now. Um, what you know with this with social emotional learning and how you're dealing with kids with with trauma. But I think the focus has kind of come back to, you know, as a, as a teaching staff, what kind of commitment do you have to what what are your key academic skills and what you're trying to develop, what you're trying to scaffold kids towards. In my 32 years, I think I've been at all kind of schools now. I've been fortunate to be a principal of four different schools now. And a lot of people say, "What's what? You know, it must be easier at that school. You guys are number one. That's easy." And and what I found is, well, the yeah, certainly, um, you know, our performance is very, very high. But so, so, but it goes back to you. I said, "What's it's so critical to have, have be able to instill that belief in kids?" Mm -hmm. And that belief kind of comes through is what you show them authentically every day as adults in that building. You know, and that's hard because you know, it's, you know. It's tough walking in every day and you got to take that jacket off of the door is what I what I used to tell a lot of my faculties. You know, we have lives, too. You know, we we have families and different things that are occurring. That That's always us. shocking to students yeah. when they see you at Target. They're yeah. like, what are you doing here? It always is. It always is. But um, but that's but you, know, you got to take your jacket off of the door and you got to be fully present for those kids. Dr. Pete Cachivera, thank you so much for joining us. Certainly. I really enjoy talking with you and I would welcome you back to come visit and spend some time on campus with us. 
Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, ceremonies celebrating the life of former First Lady Rosalind Carter will begin in Georgia. Mrs. Carter will lay in repose at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum in Atlanta. Tuesday, the House of Representatives returns from Thanksgiving break, potentially addressing the expulsion of New York Congressman George Santos. And it's Giving Tuesday, a chance to give back to your country or community. Wednesday, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting takes place in New York City. Thursday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom will square off in a red state versus blue state debate on the Fox News Channel, hosted by Sean Hannity. Friday, Pope Francis travels to Dubai to attend the UN Climate Change Conference. And Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, debuts in AMC theaters nationwide. The documentary concert film will put the spotlight on the pop superstar's seventh album and her Renaissance world tour. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Greg Jarrett. What's on your mind? In my new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, readers can rediscover what made America a luminous beacon of hope for liberty, prosperity, and justice throughout the world. Since before its founding, our country has been blessed with extraordinary leaders. They steeled our resolve for independence. They invented a new form of government by the people and for the people. And each brought different skills and talents to the cause of freedom. In this unique collector's edition, the writings, speeches, and letters of our founders and their successors are carefully selected and explained. The important promises and navigating principles that shaped our great nation can be read in full. Among the essential patriotic documents in the book, we revisit seminal moments in the American journey. For example, John Adams warned that unscrupulous men in power, if left unchecked, would become, quote, ravenous beasts of prey, destroying our fledgling government. George Washington openly worried that the creation of political parties would become potent engines of unprincipled men who would undermine America's freedom. He counseled against them, but nobody listened. Fast forward to the bold, transcendent figures like Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, Susan B. Anthony, Teddy Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan. And the America we know today was shaped by their wisdom, their vision, their inspiring words and galvanizing ideas. The common denominator among all these exceptional men and women was their abiding faith in our country's greatness, fortified by a devotion to patriotism. In their memorable words, Americans have found solace and illumination. We still can. In an era when too many have forgotten our country's remarkable past, the noble ideas, the uplifting words of these exceptional leaders are needed now more than ever to rekindle 
the indomitable spirit. The name of the book is The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, available now nationwide and online. I'm Greg Jarrett, Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.